You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast. We are previewing Houston, and we're talking conference realignment. I am Stephen Igo, the host of HoistTheColors.net, and I was just going to have our intern Max Sullivan make his podcast debut. We're having some technical difficulties uh, with the audio, so I'm uh, going to have to roll solo tonight. And uh, we'll get Mac on, it looks like, next week. And uh, kind of break down the USF game. He'll probably join us for post game, if not for pregame. So we'll get him on next week. We'll introduce him to you guys. He's a junior at ECU. Does uh, a lot of good work, good stuff for us. So we'll save his introduction. Didn't want it to be under the circumstances of poor audio, so you guys couldn't hear him or whatnot. So we'll work that out. Get a fix for next week. All right. So we're talking Houston ECU, of course, which we'll do. And we always preview the games. That's usually what the podcasts are about. But Man, it feels like ECU almost doesn't even have a game this week due to the conference expansion news that broke earlier this week and became official on Thursday. And I wrote a column about my thoughts on the American Athletic Conference adding the six teams that it did. So you can go read that in its entirety. If you don't feel like reading it, I'll kind of give my verbal thoughts here on the podcast. And, you know, to be quite frank, my initial reaction to the podcast and or to the news and the reason I didn't take questions for this preview podcast is because I knew everyone was going to ask about conference realignment. And the initial takeaway was, man, this has got to be the most underwhelming group of schools added to a conference that ECU's in, in in quite some time. And I guess there was a previous Conference USA where many of these same schools were added and more like Middle Tennessee State, uh, FIU, and others at that time. And we saw ECU go through that transition year, but at the same time, they were leaving Conference USA and on its way to the American during that transition year, which uh, we'll get more into later. But today's news, six schools added to the American to bring it the conference of 14 full-time playing members. UAB, Florida Atlantic, Charlotte, North Texas, Rice, UTSA. And I'm glad I have them listed here in front of me because I always forget one or two because you rarely see a conference add six, six schools in one expansion, which is just insane. And I think most people expected the American to add two or four. And to go all in with six and all from the same conference, Conference USA, and really a lot of these schools with a similar background in terms of being in a big metropolitan area, not really having big fan bases in terms of guys who or fans who actually go to games, but having the potential for growth if you look at the population, the money that's being put into the school, all that sort of stuff. So, uh, you know, I'll talk about the upside of the move and then obviously the downside of the move. Uh, because if you look at this on paper, in terms of the American, it makes some sense that you want to add the biggest markets. And Mike Oresco hit on it during his press conference today. You're getting, I think, four of the top seven markets is what he said, a footprint in each of those markets, and then seven of the top 25 or seven of the top 15. Either way, heavy emphasis on the market deal, 
you know, North Texas in the Dallas market, Birmingham, obviously in the Birmingham market, Boca Raton in the Miami market, Charlotte in a big market in in, a, in a, of itself, Houston, uh, Rice with Rice taking over the Houston market as Houston's going to the Big 12, and then San Antonio, Texas, also a big market. So, yeah, six big market schools. That's the positive, and we've seen the American, to its credit, help elevate some of these schools in past years that really had very little following in terms of actual butts and seats and maybe still have very little following, but have elevated the program in terms of notoriety because of the platform that ESPN provides. And it's it's worth noting that the American does have a pretty good TV contract in terms of viewership. They're on ESPN quite a bit, not as much as they were the first go-round due to the ESPN Plus expansion, but still on quite a bit. So theoretically, from their point of view, they're looking at it as, hey, we can take a UAB and really make it a national brand in terms of we can make it a Birmingham, Alabama brand. You know, same thing with Charlotte. They probably feel like in such a big, fast-growing area in Charlotte, North Carolina, that they have a lot of potential. Uh, with, with San Antonio, you know, there's really no college team in that area, so UTSA has a chance to grow grow there. Similar to how UCF grew in Orlando, similar to how Temple has grown in Philadelphia, you know, Memphis and Houston have each done a good job as far as branding. Uh, SMU has done a great job of branding itself as Dallas's school, even though you can really argue who in Dallas really likes or cares about SMU compared to, you know, Texas or uh, many of the other schools in that area. So I think they see it as, hey, we've done it with schools like Memphis, Houston, SMU, Temple. Why can't we do it with schools like Charlotte, UTSA, UAB, etc. Well, you know, there comes a point where there can only be so many of those programs that have consistent success and actually live up to that standard. Conference USA tried the same model by adding many of these programs and really never found consistent success. Now, the difference is the American believes it can give these schools more resources uh, as far as uh, things that they can invest back into themselves to further their ac- athletic programs long term. And this isn't going to happen overnight. You know, I, I highly doubt you'll see, you know, a UCF type takeoff from Charlotte or UTSA or UAB overnight. I mean, it's going to be a process and the American has to take the long game here because conference expansion, they know that not only are they losing Cincinnati, UCF, uh, and Houston, but they could lose more schools to, to the Power Five in, in the coming years as conference expansion continues to evolve. So they're looking at this as a a short-term and a long-term deal, but more of a long-term deal. You know, you look at, so, you know, I can can understand that. But the downside of that is when East Carolina plays at Rice or when SMU plays at FAU and that game is on national television, there might be 30 people in the stands. I mean, these games are not going to be well attended. The only games that might be actually well attended is when, like, an ECU plays a Charlotte Maybe when North Texas plays SMU just due to the proximity of the schools. Uh, Nobody goes to Rice football games. Even when they're good, nobody goes to Rice football games. Um, You know, UAB killed its football program just a handful of years ago. Major kudos to them for resurrecting that thing, building it on campus stadium. It shows that investment does equal return. If you know what you're doing, you have proper leadership, all that stuff. Uh, but this is a major game, gamble by the American Athletic Conference. There's no guarantee just because these schools are in big markets and have big enrollments and all that stuff that they're going to work out. 
certainly they're hoping that they're the next UCF, the next Cincinnati, Memphis, all that sort of stuff. But those programs had a pretty good tradition. Many of these programs do not have much much of a tradition at all, uh, especially like a Charlotte that has only played football less than a decade. And yeah, you can argue Charlotte's pretty good right now, but they still had one winning season in their history. And they've got, what, a 15,000-seat stadium. Uh, I think ECU can sell that out on it in itself when they go play at Charlotte. So I don't know what they're going to do when ECU plays at Charlotte. They might have to move that game to Bank of America. Uh, but that's a conversation for another day. Uh, I guess if there's one positive for ECU that they do have another in-state foe in terms of regional proximity that fans can drive to and that will create some in-state interest. There's also the downside of that, that now I'm recruiting – Charlotte can be seen as a peer of ECU, <clears throat> which, uh, you know, to that argument, I would say, yeah, they're in the same conference, but if you're a recruit and you go to Charlotte's football stadium and you go to ECU's football stadium on game day or otherwise, there's going to be no comparison. So Charlotte may win a recruit or two over ECU just due to its proximity in the city of Charlotte and the fact that it's now going to be in the American, but I'll be stunned if ECU does not continue to win the majority of those recruiting battles um, for the short and long term. Uh, But as for the rest of these schools, I mean, it just doesn't do ECU any good. UAB, FAU, North Texas, Rice, UTSA, that's not moving the needle for for any ECU fan. I thought the group of schools was pretty underwhelming. I think ESPN was pulling a lot of the strings here. Conference USA does not have a TV deal with ESPN. Uh, Mountain West does not either, and so you saw, and the Mountain West schools were not going to come to the American. They decided to stay home. So you saw ESPN and the American probably work together behind closed doors to say, hey, let's raid Conference USA, render them obsolete, and maybe uh, maybe leave the Sun Belt alone because the Sun Belt right now is ESPN property and for a very good value. If the American starts plucking from Sun Belt, the top schools in the Sun Belt, then all of a sudden you hurt the value of the Sun Belt in ESPN's eyes. So I don't know if that's what happened, but I, I at least think it played a small percentage in this in this particular way. It just doesn't make sense for the American to take six Conference USA schools when they could have easily taken a Louisiana, an App State, a Coastal Carolina, uh, you know, and really came out just as good, if not better, in terms of football brands. I mean, this is truly a market deal. You're not really adding many football brands here. You could argue UAB in in recent years has established a pretty good football brand with this comeback. UTSA, yeah, they're in the top 25, but is this a flash in the pan? Is this a long-term deal? You know, time will tell. You're just not moving the needle a lot as as far as football brands. So we can talk about markets. We can talk about all that stuff till till we're red in the face or blue in the face. It's just... To me, it does not always equal success. The SEC has proved that. I mean, how many of those rural SEC programs are in big markets? Not very many. It's more about passion, pride. You know, they have so many uh, fans in those states that follow those programs that aren't in those cities. And so it's not, you know, just like ECU. ECU is not in a big market in Greenville, but they're going to lead this conference in attendance for the foreseeable future because of a passionate fan base and because of tradition. So I say all that, that was more the downside of it, the positive side of it, and this is what I wrote. I think this does lend the door for an opportunity for East Carolina to get its program back to winning ways. I think 
Mike Houston, especially on the football front, has the program trending in the right direction. But you're still out, man, at times in this league in terms of facilities, in terms of investments from some of the bigger schools in the conference. And I think you take away Houston, UCF, Cincinnati, all three of which have beaten ECU consistently in football and in basketball over the last number of years. You take those schools out and you replace them with six probably middle-tier programs at best in terms of where they fit in the American. Some of these will be bottom feeders to start with. That's a chance for ECU to move up the ladder, take advantage of this, and, and start winning again. It all comes down to wins. You know, there's no... There's nothing that, that fixes everything more than winning. And I don't care who you're playing. We proved that during the 2013 season when East Carolina won 10 games for just the second time in program history. They did that in a watered-down Conference USA. They beat FIU. They beat FAU. They had 38,000 people here on a Thursday night early in the season. Um, they went down to FIU one. They beat Middle Tennessee State on the road. They beat some of these teams that really nobody cares about. It's more about, hey, let's show up to see ECU play. And if ECU is winning, people will show up to the games. And you can average 40,000-plus fans on Saturdays, and you can make revenue. So ECU's just got to get back to winning games. they got to fix the product on their own. The conference stuff will take care of itself long-term. I mean, you're still going to have regional Power 5 games. You're still going to have regional games of interest. You look at the future schedules through the late 2020s, you've got teams like NC State. You've got West Virginia. You've got a game at South Carolina. You've got a game at Michigan. You've got other programs that are scheduled to come in. You know, you're going to BYU. you got them coming in. you got Boise State in a home-and-home. Home. you got Wake Forest on the schedule in a home-and-home. Home. So there's still going to be big games on ECU's schedule. Just because they're in a worse conference now in terms of the optics of some of the teams they're playing doesn't mean you can't play big-time football. And you play big-time football, and you get big-time crowds and environments if you win. And so, yeah, ECU needs to take advantage of the situation in that finally they're going to be in a situation where they're not going to be outmanned so much in this league, in football and in basketball. Basketball's got to get on its feet too, but this is most importantly with football. You know, you can't let FAU, Charlotte, North Texas, Rice, UAB, Texas San Antonio, you can't let these programs come into this American conference and beat you. ECU has an advantage in terms of TV revenue, in terms of exposure, in terms of recruiting on all six of these programs from being in the American since 2014. That buffer period will probably last, you know, three to four years, if not longer, because ECU's had that consistent exposure, uh, consistent money. And if all reports are accurate, ECU will continue to make more money than the newcomers to the conference in terms of the TV deal through 2031-2032. That's a period ECU's got to take advantage of to elevate its program to become a potential flagship member of the American Athletic Conference. They have not pulled their own weight since entering this league. ECU has been a disappointment to the American, and there's no way to spin that. Outside of baseball, it just has not been a good athletics program. They have a chance to change that narrative, and you know they could do it before UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati leave. They could start to or continue this upward trend, but they really need to take hold and start making moves in 2023 when all this goes down. You know, it's not like the conference is bad. You still got some quality programs. SMU right now under Sonny Dykes in football operating at a pretty high level. Obviously, Tulsa's good every now and then. Tulane with Willie Fritz has become a very respectable program. 
Um, you know, Memphis probably sees a similar opportunity. They've been consistently good. Obviously, in basketball, they've been very good, and they should dominate this new league. Um, Navy probably sees it as, as an opportunity to compete for championships again. But certainly, Memphis, I think, in all sports, has a chance to take a step forward with some of these teams leaving the league. You still have some very good teams in this league in terms of South Florida has a lot of potential. We talked about Memphis. They're probably looking at this as an opportunity to really take their next step as a program, separate itself for the Big 12, etc. Tulsa's won some championships in the American Athletic Conference. Tulane has really risen up these last few years. Um, and, and so there, it's not like it's a bad league. But at the same time, if you're East Carolina, you have to take the initiative and among that group of schools, find a way to rise to the top and be the flagship or one of the flagships. I mean, it's, you're not going to win this league every year, but you want to be a team that's consistently competing for championships in football, a team in basketball that is respectable. And so the fan base can't just go into the shell of, oh, this is terrible, woe is me, etc. There has to be a sense of urgency from the top down, from the chancellor to the athletic director to the coaching staff. Now is the time for ECU to reclaim its place as a respected athletics program, especially in football, and get back to competing for championships. There's there's no more excuses. You're on a level playing field with many of these schools. Sure, you have a disadvantage in some areas, but you also have an advantage in others. And so the the program, the fan base, et cetera, everybody has to invest now instead of backpedaling and saying, oh, I don't want to invest in this in this ECU athletics program now they're in this crappy league, et cetera. Now is the time to do that. Because if you let a Charlotte, if you let a FAU, if you let whoever come in and start beating you consistently and you fall behind them, that's when you get into trouble and you get into big trouble not only short-term, but long-term. You don't want those programs to pass you, and ECU should have the advantage for several years in terms of putting them in their place, and ECU reclaiming its place atop a conference and find a way to win championships again. Get back to winning. Get back to having fun on Saturday in the stands of of Dowdy Ficklin Stadium in terms of filling it up, having great uh, great game-day environments, even when even when ECU was in Conference USA, they they won recruiting battles based off their game day environment compared to a North Carolina Duke. So, conference affiliation is very important, but it's not the end all be all. The point of this is ECU controls its own destiny in many ways by the decision the institution makes in terms of leadership and also by the success rate on the field. And it has been lacking in recent years, as it is well documented. But if we can find a way to see ECU correct those problems, win again, I think it'll all take care of itself. And then we look up in five, ten years, who knows where this thing is heading. So, again, an opportunity is in front of ECU. It has to take advantage of it. It it could go either way. ECU could continue to struggle, fall either further down the rabbit hole, or they could find a way to start dominating this watered-down AAC or at least competing for championships first and foremost again, then try and find a way to have consistent success in terms of you're talking about, hey, you're a flagship institution of the American. Because right now, ECU is very far away from that. 
can they get there? Absolutely. And I think the program is on an upward trajectory in football and other sports as an athletics program, but it's going to continue to take an investment, a commitment to excellence to get there. It's not just going to happen because these teams are leaving the league. Now is the time to invest more, not less, if you're an ECU fan. All right, so there's my diatribe on conference expansion. I kind of went all over the place there, but I had many thoughts, and I don't know if I articulated them well or not, but I tried to. Again, read the column. I proofread that multiple times and threw it up, so um, that maybe is a better better flow uh, on net. but those are my thoughts on conference expansion. All right, let's get into this matchup between ECU and Houston. We'll do that on the other side. Taking a quick commercial break, you're listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back into the Hoist the Colors podcast. We talked conference expansion earlier. Now time to share some thoughts on East Carolina's next football game. Yes, they do have a game this week. You wouldn't know by looking at the Hoist the Colors message board, which I think is primarily conference expansion talk at this point. But time now to focus on the actual game on the field. It is a big game this Saturday in Houston, Texas. As Mike Houston leads ECU into TD ECU Stadium in the city of Houston. That is a tongue twister. Uh, Hopefully it's good fortune that the Pirates are playing in TD ECU Stadium. Did not work out so well in 2017 when the Pirates last played the Cougars there. That was their first time in the new venue. I think opened in 2016. Uh, But this is a good Houston team, guys. This is a very good Houston team. I think the biggest thing about it is you think of Dana Holgerson, wide open offense, air raid, all that stuff. But it's their defense that has carried them. And their offense isn't fantastic. It's good enough. And they don't make many mistakes, so they play complimentary football. And their special teams is really good. They got a dynamic return man, a solid kicker, good punter. So it's, it's really a very good team. Like, I know that's a pretty obvious statement to make, but when you're good on offense, great on defense, and good on special teams, that is a tough team to beat, especially on its home field. That's why Houston's 5-1. and one. That's why they are 13.5-point favorites over the visiting ECU Pirates. So this is, a, this is a tall test. Now, I will say this. This is, this is far from an unwinnable game. I've watched Houston a couple times this year. Tulsa. They won the game 45-10, to 10 and they, they dominated. There's no doubt about it. They whooped Tulsa up front. But Tulsa made a ton of egregious errors that made that game really get out of hand. And um, just a ton of ton of issues. Tulane, uh, I thought Tulane matched Houston for about three quarters, and then things got away in the fourth quarter. So ECU played, Houston, or ECU played Tulane better than Houston, arguably. So 
Um, and, and you look at the rest of Houston's schedule, they've beaten Grambling State, they've beaten Rice, they've beaten Tulsa, Tulane, and they struggled a little bit with Navy, but were able to finish them off at home. You know, those are five wins over subpar competition. Their one loss was the Texas Tech, which probably is a game they should have won. They were leading, and then kind of things got away from them late. They ended up losing 38-21 in the season opener. So, you know, you look at Houston, and their their stats are impressive. They, they're Like I said, they're good in every phase. They're not going to beat themselves. But I still wonder how good are they. And a part of me wonders how good ECU is. I mean, ECU is – I don't know what to expect from this team sometimes. I mean, it, you know, we just talked about Tulane, 1-5. I still think a probably a pretty good 1-5 team. I mean, they played Oklahoma tough. They can score points. Their defense is struggling. But, you know, the way ECU was clicking in every phase that day, if ECU can play that way against anybody on a schedule, I'd give them a shot to win. Um, but we just haven't seen it consistently. I mean, we, we've seen it at times. We saw it in the, the fourth quarter at Marshall. We saw it in the second quarter against Charleston Southern. But this ECU team still has not put together really four full quarters of its best football. And even against Tulane, they struggled in the third quarter. So, this ECU team, if they operate at this peak efficiency, can go on the road and beat Houston. I have no doubt about that. But can they find that consistency? I don't know. I don't know. It's it's tough given some of the matchups we'll get into here in a minute to to foresee that happening. You know, App State, ECU really struggled to handle uh, the Mountaineers up front. South Carolina, yeah, I thought ECU actually handled South Carolina's front pretty well, especially in the running game. It was in pass pro that was kind of an issue. And then UCF was a similar deal in that they could not block UCF's front. The passing game struggled as a result, and the offense could not score enough points. All three losses, ECU has failed to score 20 points. All three wins, they've scored more than 30 points. So to me, this game comes down to the offense. I think ECU's defense will hold Houston probably somewhere in the upper 20s, maybe mid-20s. I think Houston's got enough firepower to score there. I think ECU's offense has to find a way to get into the upper 20s or low 30s to win this football game. And I don't know if they can do it. I mean, the thing that worries me about Houston is their defensive front is legit. And it's not just one guy. They go like six, seven, eight deep at defensive end, defensive tackle. All their guys have just a considerable amount of, of sacks, pressures, hurries, all that stuff. They and they do it by rushing forward. They don't blitz a lot, and they consistently get home. So if ECU gets in third and long consistently in this game, it's going to be an issue, and it's going to be a lot like we saw versus UCF. If you struggle on first and second down, you're in third and long. You're not going to be able to sustain drives. You're not going to be able to execute in the red zone, put up points. You just have to find a way to stay out of third and long. So, Donnie Kirkpatrick kind of said the other day they might have to throw on first and second down more than normal to stay ahead of the chains. But I think personally they got to run the football in this game to have success. You know, they are holding opponents to three yards per rush and 108.5 yards per game on the ground. Those are great numbers. But there have been times where their opponents have had success running the football and that has allowed them to stay ahead of the change, and that neutralizes that pass rush a bit. So to me, you know, throwing on early downs will be important, but also you have to find a way to run the football effectively on early downs. Um, you can't be in second and nine and third and seven after two failed runs on first and second downs. So 
it's a big game for ECU's offensive line. It's a big game for uh, Holt Naylor. He's going to have to be patient if Houston stays with this philosophy of rushing four, dropping into coverage a lot. He's going to have to take what the defense gives him and not be baited into bad throws. Can't get too anxious in terms of that. So a lot has to go right offensively for ECU to have success on Saturday. It starts up front. They got to be able to protect. They got to be able to establish some sort of running game. Doesn't have to light the world on fire, but just enough to to stay out of third and seven plus. If they can do that, they've got a chance to move the football. Uh, defensively for ECU, I, you know, I like some of the matchups here. You know, one thing I noticed when I was watching Houston and Tulane, Clayton Toon, their quarterback, very good at throwing on the run, moving to his right. Tulane pressured him a considerable amount of times. I thought Houston's offensive line struggled in pass pro. And I thought they were pretty good in run run blocking, but I thought they were susceptible against the blitz and in pass pro. But then they would they they would collapse the pocket, but not keep contain and tune with roll to his right and throw strikes. So if I'm ECU's defense heading into this game, I not only want to pressure tune, move him off the spot, but I want to get him rolling to his left, make sure I have the right contain because he looked very very comfortable rolling to his right. He's consistently gotten better throughout his career under Daner Holgerson. Uh, can make mistakes at times. You know, is prone to interceptions. So ECU's got to be opportunistic against Toon. Um, but I think overall, this is, you know, you look at this Houston team, it's not as explosive as some of the past Houston teams that we've seen where it's been more about the offense. No, this is more about the defense, the Houston defense. And ECU just can't give up anything cheap when its defense is on the field to Houston's offense. So, um, a lot of keys in this game because anytime you're facing a really good team, you have to do um, you have to do a good job in several phases. Another thing that really stands out to me about Houston, by the way, they're outscoring their opponents 223 to 97. But check this out: in the first quarter, Houston is outscoring its opponents 73 to seven. 73 to seven. That is a, that is a monster stat, and they've been able to bury a lot of these teams in that first quarter. You know, Texas Tech was able to overcome a big deficit early, but if you're ECU on the road against this defense, you don't want to fall behind 14-3, 14-0, after a quarter. So ECU's going to have to hold serve early. You know, after the first quarter, things even out a little bit more. Uh, they've still outscored their opponents a ton in the second half, but not as as egregiously as 73-7. to seven. That is just, uh, man, that jumps out the, off the page at you. Uh, their true freshman running back, Alton McCaskill, he had offers from Alabama, Auburn, Moore out of high school. He leads their team in rushing as a true freshman, 403 yards, eight touchdowns, 4.7 yards per carry. To John Henry, uh, an impressive back as well. He's got four touchdowns. Uh, Mobile Cars, a veteran, he's been in that system forever. So they got... Stable of backs. Nathaniel Dells, their top receiver. I know he's been banged up. I think he got hurt in the two-lane game, so I'm not sure of his status. But he's got 35 catches for 477 yards and three scores. Outside of that, they kind of spread the ball around. Jalen Irwin's a guy who's got eight catches for 87 yards. UCLA transfer that actually was committed to East Carolina at one point as a silent commitment. Came and visited practice and then flipped his commitment a week later to Houston. So if I'm an East Carolina DB... I'm lighting his ass up on Saturday if I see him. Um, he's a, he, you know, 
that one was a uh, that was a shocker. Charlotte kid committed to ECU, and then flips his commitment to Houston. So we'll see if there's any uh, any back and forth talk there in the secondary on Saturday. Um, again, he's let's see ninth or tenth on the team in reception, so it hasn't been a huge factor at this point. It's been more Nathaniel Dell, uh, Kayshawn Carter, uh, Marcus Jones, who is their dynamic return man. He's got 10 catches, 409 yards, and a score. And Jones, who basically is a two-way player at this point, is one of the nation's top return men. Tyler Sneed was second-team all-conference last year with a kick return for score. Jones had uh, – he was first-team. He's got two punt returns for touchdowns this year and a punt return for a touchdown last year. Hasn't been used a ton on kickoffs, but is more on the punt return game. And then ECU has been really good – in the punting game this year. And so I think they've given up like something like 25 net return yards all season on John Young punt. So that's a strength on strength matchup right there in the kicking game. Uh, ECU is eight of 10 on field goals. They've struggled a little bit. Owen Daffer has on long field goals. Houston is in a similar boat. They are five of nine on field goals. Dalton Witherspoon is just two for five on kicks beyond 40 yards, so he has hit a 48-yarder. Uh, Punning-wise, Lane, Wilkin, Lane Wilkins is averaging 46 yards per boot. He's down to 11 inside the 20. He's got 10 over 50 yards, so again, solid punter, pretty solid kicking game, electric return game. So solid special teams for the Houston Cougars. So all in all, again, a tough matchup for East Carolina on the road. Again, I think this is a winnable game. It's just going to take a special effort in all phases. This is the type of game where you have to get a big play, I think, either on special teams or defensively. It doesn't have to necessarily be a score, but a muff punt, you know, a pick deep inside Houston territory or, you know, a, a pick when Houston's about to score. Just some type of big play that changes the momentum of the game completely. Like, that's kind of what it takes to go on the road and be a really good team in their house. Um, interested to see what the crowd looks like on Saturday at Houston. Not exactly known for its home field advantage. I mean, uh, you know, I've been to these, these again, we've talked about this earlier, but I've been to these towns and, you know, outside of the alumni, just nobody, nobody in Houston, Texas really cares that Houston is playing East Carolina football. I mean, there's no, there's no buzz in the town. There might be a little bit of buzz around campus, but interested to see what the crowd looks like. It is homecoming, so I'm sure they'll have a decent crowd inside their stadium. Um, but the last time I was there, it's not like it's an overwhelming environment or anything. ECU's played at the Bounce House and at Marshall, and both those places are louder than Houston. So we'll see what happens on Saturday. I don't think ECU will be intimidated in going to this game. They've played pretty well on the road with a win at Marshall and what should have been a win at UCF. So... Big opportunity for ECU on Saturday. You know, I have not given my prediction yet. Uh, I'll have that up on Saturday morning uh, in written form. I guess I'll give it right now. You know, I I think ECU keeps this game within a touchdown, uh, but I think Houston wins it ultimately 28-21 is my final score. I think Houston survives by a touchdown at home. Tough, tough road game for ECU. Again, you win this one, bowl game looks very, like a very, very good possibility. You lose, all of a sudden you've got two home games in a row. You probably need to win 
realistically to get there. So this is a huge game. ECU's at the point where it's programmed. Every week now, going in the conference play is a huge game and could swing your season one way or the other. And this is one of those opportunities for Mike Houston's team. You find a way to win this one, then nobody's talking about what happened against UCF at the end of the game. Everybody's talking about, hey, we can't. We, we not only are going to get six, we might get seven or eight. So this is a game that could swing your season one way or the other. ECU is two touchdown underdogs, probably for a reason. Houston's really good. ECU's still coming along as a team. But if the Pirates play at their best on Saturday, they have a chance to come out of Houston, Texas victorious. So we'll see what happens. I'm uh, making the trip. I'll fly out. Recording this on Thursday night, so flying out Friday afternoon. And we'll be reporting live from Houston, Texas and TD ECU Stadium pre- and post-game for our Hoist the Color subscribers and our free followers. So uh, looking forward to bringing you coverage as always. And that'll do it for the Hoist the Colors podcast in this edition. Again, sorry I couldn't get Mac on this time. Had some technical difficulties, so we'll try to get him on next week. Until then, when we recap what happened at Houston, and hopefully we can put this conference realignment talk behind us for at least the foreseeable future. We will talk to you next week on the Hoist the Colors podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.